Participation in local politics, whether as voters or as politicians, is an important aspect of citizenry. In keeping up with this duty, it is important that we as citizens stay informed. With that in mind, over the next few weeks, the Lawrence Talks podcast will sit down with candidates running for local and state office. For our first episode, we sit down with Democratic candidate for District 10 of the Kansas House of Representatives, Christina Haswood. Discussing her candidacy, we focus on the values, experiences, and policy positions she would take with her to Topeka. The Lawrence Talks podcast is produced in part thanks to our partners at the Hall Center for the Humanities, IDRH, School of Liberal Arts and Sciences, and the KU Philosophy Department. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Lawrence Talks Podcast. I am your host, David Tamez. But before we begin our episode today, I would like to mention a few housekeeping notes. Uh, This episode begins our coverage of local politics and elections. So over the next few weeks, we'll be covering local campaigns for county sheriff, DA, commission, and state representation. It also begins our partnership with Lawrence-owned company, The Post House, and its affiliated partner, Primary Color Music. Together, the two companies deal with pre- and post-production elements of your favorite TV and radio ads. We thank them for bringing a much-needed professional touch to our podcast. Now, with that uh, out of the way, I would like to welcome Democratic candidate for District 10 of the Kansas House of Representative, Christina Haswood. Christina, thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. So to begin, I would like to, I guess, this is going to sound weird, and and for people who are just coming to the show, I am a philosophy PhD student, and more so I'm in the humanities, so I want to emphasize in these these conversations a sort of humanity-oriented conversation. And so I think with that, it's it's important to, at least before we get into the policies that you're you're suggesting or that you want to promote, is to get to know you as uh, Christina Haswood as the person. So I'd like to begin our conversation there. If you could give us a, a little bit, tell us a little bit about who you are and the sort of, if you want to sort of highlight the experiences and components of your life that kind of brought you to coming to this point. My name is Christina Hadswood. I'm a candidate for Kansas House Representative in District 10. I was born and raised in Lawrence and currently live my whole life in District 10. I was raised by young parents who are... Well, I'm Navajo from the Navajo Nation. Both my parents grew up on the Navajo Nation. Um, and they came to Lawrence to go to Haskell New Nations University at a very young age. And then they had me at a very young age. So to get on their feet, they utilize a lot of social service programs, such as WIC, Section 8 Housing, as well as the tribal school clothing funding back on our reservation, you know, just to give a roof over our head, uh, nutritious food to eat and clothes on our back. I'm a very proud product of the K-12 through school system. I went to Prairie Park Elementary, Billy Mills Middle School at the time. It was South Junior High, Lawrence High School. And I as well went to Haskell Nations University and got my Associates of Science in Community Health. And then went on to get my Bachelor's in Public Health at Arizona State University. And recently just graduated with my Master's in Public Health at the University of Kansas Medical Center, emphasizing in management. A little bit more about me is... You know, during these unprecedented times of why I'm running, well, mainly because at the medical center, I've gotten a two-year extensive knowledge on Kansas health policy and being a person of color 
coming from a marginalized population, being Native American, we have a unique relationship with the United States government. We're basically impacted by policies before we were born and, you know, after we were born because we have this sovereign relationship. So I always grew up with this notion of policies will impact my life and directly with Indian Health Services healthcare is how I've been personally impacted. So I went to the medical center, got two years of my master's in public health. And then COVID-19 happened here. And that's kind of around the time when I was approached by a community member saying, hey, uh, Representative Horn is not seeking re-election. Was this, is this something that you would consider? And I am finishing up my last semester. And I thought I wanted to get into politics but I didn't think it'd become this early. <laughs> I always thought it would be, you know, I follow the typical career path of going into a nonprofit or into government. I was more interested in how health policies work at the federal and state government level. So I definitely wanted to get into that. But I took the time, it was about a weekend, <laughs> to see if my family would be supportive of me. I grew up in a family where politics really wasn't a, um, I guess, a normal activity. I never, my parents didn't take me to rallies or my parents didn't take me to the local democratic meetings. So politics was kind of just, I guess, not really emphasized. Only my mom would take me to go vote during the kids vote in elementary school. But for my other family, it's not really, I guess, just voter suppression tactics, I would say, is kind of what I grew up thinking that my vote didn't matter. I'm a Native American woman. Of course, my vote doesn't matter at all. So when I got into politics about a year and a half ago, I was inspired through a class at the medical center to look more into Kansas. Um, and I kind of took that extra step of the homework to actually, well, I guess part of the homework was to see who was your representative. And I took that extra step to go to one of Representative Horn's coffee talks. And just because I kind of grew up with this, you know, politics doesn't care about you politicians are bad. So I was just like, okay, well, let me go chat with her. <laughs> and to my surprise, she was amazing. <laughs> and I've met with like staffers of my representatives at the federal level. And I didn't get that much, I guess, positive response. And I guess that's just the difference of state government and federal government and their workload. But I was pleasantly surprised to see Representative Horn doing such an amazing job. And once I got more knowledge of how the Kansas legislature works, I follow the bills and see what she voted on. And they were all pretty much all of them. Yeah, were votes that I would agree on. And then she would also, you know, go on her social media and explain, this is why I voted this way. I'm like, okay, cool. So I really enjoyed her leadership style and her communication with the community. And I thought she did a fantastic job. And so when I went to my family asking them about, should I run? And they were very hesitant, but they ended up being supportive. And then I went to local leaders in Lawrence, um, especially in my district. And I just talked to them. I was like, what do you think about me being a leader? And of course, they were just like, yeah, of course, you would be a great leader. And I was like, okay. And of course, I guess imposter syndrome started happening. You know, I'm 26. I'm just out of grad school. Is this even know, feasible for me. I guess, you know, just the pay cut too is no secret, but being involved in local politics for about the past year, every time I go to these meetings, I'm either the only person of color, the youngest person, the only Native American person, the only Native American female. So just representation of the people who these policies impact the most. Unfortunately, they're working, you know, two plus jobs. They're having, they have multiple kids and 
you know, going to a legislative coffee talk at 9 a.m. on a Saturday really isn't a realistic um, event for the hardworking people in our state. And, and that was just a realization of just my voice and my presence being there, being such a great impact to those who aren't there. Then I would talk to other people who, you know, had issues um, about the government and I'd be like, okay, well, I can, you know, I know Representative Horn, I can bring this up to her. Like, okay, cool. So that's, I guess, kind of how I got here and kind of how my background led me up to here. Thank you. And one of the things you you mentioned is that you were literally called to run for office. Did do you also, uh, people also talk about being sort of figuratively called into running for office. Did you also experience that that same pull, that internal pull to to run for office? Yeah, my interest in federal health policy, um, I guess just health policy in general, because it impacts state, local, city level. Public health is such a broad field that a lot of people may think of public health as teaching nutrition classes. And that's probably one of the bread and butters of public health and community health. Where I found my happiness of making change was at the policy level. And that policy level of I have experience working at the federal, the state policy level, a local county level. I've also, back at my university, worked on some suicide projects, trying to get some policy levels changing there. And I guess just with all those experience policy, I noticed there wasn't a lot of people from my background advocating on these policies. And sometimes they're advocating on policies that they've never experienced in their life, like being on WIC or Section 8 housing it's people that come from a more privileged background. So I was kind of frustrated in that sense, seeing those type of people there. And I quickly realized the environment of that type of work is not really, how, how I would say it, not, not very, I guess, friendly. I think, that, I think it takes a certain personality for someone to get into policy. So when I found out that there was a limited number of people like me going to health policy, it was like, okay, I can handle this, you know, physically, mentally emotionally and spiritually to do this type of work. I'm happy here. So I probably realized this about two or three years into my college experience, and I wanted to work somewhere in, in the policy of health policy. And so I, I wasn't exactly sure what type of company or what type of position I wanted to be in, but I knew I wanted to work in health policy. And that was kind of, I guess, the calling to that. I just didn't know where I would end up. Gotcha. And speaking about your campaign more broadly, you're not only running your first, I guess, political campaign, but you're also running it into during a time of of a pandemic. What is it like going through that experience for the first time during the time that we're we're currently in? It's been crazy. I will admit I haven't heavily been involved in a campaign, and I kind of see that as an advantage of me being just someone who was just generally involved in the community as volunteering my Saturdays and Sundays into politics. And working on a campaign during a pandemic has, I guess, been challenging because a lot of recommendations that I see through professionals, other politicians, the biggest concept is door knocking and getting to meet your voters face to face. And I work like that too. I rather meet someone face to face said through email or you know, oh my gosh, a phone call <laughs> or even a text message. And we had to get really creative with um our messaging and to get my face out there. And I've had I'm having fun with it actually. And we've even branched out into our social medias include 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I mean, even branch out to TikTok, <laughs> just to, you know, put in all our efforts and creativity. Yeah, I know. I noticed the the tick uh, the TikTok video, and I wanted to say your dribbling skills are very good. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I mean, I play basketball too, but I don't think my dribbling skills were as as sharp as you yours were in that in that video. Have you? Did you? Did you play? <laughs> Yeah, um, I've been playing basketball, I, I would say, before I was born. Mm. <laughs> when I was born, my I guess whoever delivered me, the nurse was like, oh, she has long fingers. She's going to be a pianist. And my dad's like in the delivery room, like, no, she's going to play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and he played basketball at Haskell. And basketball is just kind of like, I would say, Native American culture thing as well. It's kind of like one of the big cold like I don't know, something that we all gather with and celebrate with. So I've been playing basketball, I would say before I could walk. And I had like a little toy one in my <laughs> living room. And then of course went on Lawrence Parks and Rex, played basketball until I aged out, went through AAU basketball for a couple years. Um and then I think I went in when I was like 13 and that's when I saw combat basketball get very competitive and you know it was very costly and I didn't really when when winning becomes such, I guess, a financial investment, I didn't like that part of sports. But I continued through basketball, playing on like varsity, JV in high school, and intramurals in college. <laughs> very, yeah, no, no, I was I was uh, very very impressed. So, with the use of TikTok, is that something you want to sort of interject in in the way you communicate with your constituents in the future, or not just TikTok, but general social media and communicating your stances on on your policies? Yeah, I hope with my TikTok account, showing that I'm able to adapt to any social media. I mean, if there's another platform that other of my constituents feel that they utilize more that I need to, I'm totally down to learn the software system and to communicate with them in that manner. But for those who are on TikTok, I do, if they want me to, it's all pretty much been just getting my face out there and to show my relatability. But I'm also exploring how to advocate voting, how to sign up for advanced or absence ballotees and that sort of yeah, my email, my DMs are always open to everybody for comments and feedback. So if anybody wants to give me some advice on the best way of communication, especially during a pandemic. <laughs> How much are you going to emphasize that the communication of your your policy positions to make sure that people are very clear about why you decided one way or another and being and being clear about what exact the, the reasons for or that went into your decision making? Yeah, that's a very important part. We currently have my website that has the top six uh, policies that I feel are important to my community, as well as just voicing it on social media. But I believe there'll be a forum, too, where me and the other candidates can more take a stance on our policy positions. And I think, you know, all of us doing our research on it is very important. I'm taking this time to see I see a lot of things in the news, events in the news, and I believe it's very important to have that emotional when you see the injustices happening in the world and in our communities to hold on to that emotionalness that you feel when you read that headline, but to also take a step back and say, okay, how can we bring change to this? What are other communities doing to bring change to this? Because this is not a, a unique issue. It's happening, you know, in this city, in this state, and across the country, even around the world. I, I guess that's just kind of the research standpoint that, you know, I come from too. 
I'm glad you mentioned justice because that gets us to a question that I I think is important to talk about is because every politician takes to their job a certain idea of what justice is and what it looks like. So I wanted to get your sort of thoughts about what justice looks like for you. How do you know that your, your policies are doing the right thing? For me, justice growing up has always not been served, I would say. Being Native American, our statistics are, you know, lowest for quality of life highest for, you know, cardiovascular disease um, and what's being done to it. And so I come from a background where justice doesn't really feel like our voices are being heard. And the way I would define justice, it's it's one word that has a lot of power to it. And I even struggle finding like a, a sentence of a definition, but some words that I believe justice is, is fair, equality, what's right morally and ethically human rights. And then the way we see justice in public health is equity is a term that we usually use. There's a, an illustration, I'm sure you've seen it on the internet, where there's kids looking over a fence and they each have boxes that they're standing over to look over the fence. But if we give everybody the same size box, not every kid is the appropriate height to look over the fence. We have right. to give some kids a taller box. Some kids need a shorter box because they don't need to go above the fence. We just need to get them to look over the fence. So that's kind of how we define justice too in the public health field. This next question is about values. Politician is some, it might be tasked or thought to be tasked with connecting their policies with the values of the community. What do you take to be what do you take to be the values of, of Lawrence and Baldwin City or collectively the, the general area that you'll be representing and how those link up with, with your policies? I think our values really shine during this unprecedented time when schools shut down, when the swimming pool shut down for the summer. Um, and we all came together as a community for programs such as passing out meals during lunch hours. I know I've personally volunteered during when USD 497 did their free meals program, as well as Baldwin that helped pack lunches too. And I believe these values of compassion is what's really important right now, especially when we see that our unemployment rate just keeps climbing, our economy continues to is struggling to get back to where it was before and personally like my family has been impacted where my father's currently on furlough and my brother's planning on his furlough in a week and my mom's job has been encouraged her to take um, a paid vacation so coming together with a community just to you know even make masks for the community has been really important and just having that community strong sense I believe honesty and respect is definitely big um, values in our community respecting each other and our diversities and differences. It's Pride Month this month, celebrating, you know, those who feel, who have felt for a very long time, not a part of our community, and as well as people who are disproportionately affected by like, the criminal justice system. Unfortunately, a lot of these, like the pandemic of COVID-19, bring people together. Other values, I guess, could be accountability. Uh, we're all pretty much focused on the injustices of the police violence, the jail expansion being another uh, big topic, mental health and behavioral health. Do we want to criminalize poverty or do we want to be more of a rehabilitation? Yeah, and I guess justice and equity as well. So I want to now sort of pivot towards some of your policies uh, specifically. And one of them that 
well, the, the sort of the first that for, first one that's mentioned on uh, your issues page is, or it mentions the recent uh, move by the Kansas State Legislature to limit the powers of Governor Kelly or the governorship, generally speaking, in responding to the pandemic or responding to public health crises in general. I would agree, I think, that well, on a number of points that Governor Kelly has done a wonderful job in responding to to the pandemic and also being transparent about why she came to make the decisions that she that she has. I think we have very, and I agree that we have very much lucked out in having a governor, a governor like like her. But unfortunately, as history will will show, we will not always be so lucky. And and just as a matter of fact, right before Kelly, we had a a governor who may be said to not may, probably may not have responded so well to to the pandemic in in, uh, in Brownback. And while I would disagree with the legislature wanting to limit the powers of Governor Kelly specifically, there may be a time where we are glad that we m- might have those restraints because we may not always be so lucky. But all that just means that you in your position as a state representative will have maybe a tougher job in bringing other led policymakers on board and responding to the pandemic. Or how are you going to go about in uh, bringing others uh, on board and responding to public health uh, uh, crises in general? I think getting more plans, legislature, uh, legislation that would, I guess, prepare for more of this type of public health threat, a virus. I think what's unique about COVID-19 is that no one really knew what it would do. Um, And that, I think, in itself, the mystery of the unknown was very scary. And I believe Governor Kelly did the right thing of when she saw that our cases kept increasing, um, the death toll was increasing as well. And following CDC guidelines, that in itself, I think because of that and unpredictability, we really had to trust in numbers and how I get um, my other uh, colleagues who may think otherwise. I think it's really hard to argue with numbers. Science doesn't, if it's done in an ethical manner, it's really hard to argue. And I would just really encourage them, encourage them to look at the data and make a very informed decision. A live lost is one too many. And that live loss could have been somebody's mom, dad, uncle, aunt, neighbor, cousin, teacher. And if we have the power to to stop or slow down these cases and death tolls, we're in a really good position to do that. And I say this because I am Navajo from the Navajo Nation and we have the highest cases. Our, at one point, we did have a, a, a tremendous amount of cases and death tolls. And there wasn't much time or resources that we have now that said, okay, can we, you know, shut down schools? Can we do these things in phases? Unfortunately for them, they had to do, I guess, like a weekend lockdown. And just seeing how that community got hit so hard, I don't want that to happen at all to my state, my community, my neighboring districts. I think we should all learn from this pandemic that we need to act in a quick manner, waiting waiting a week, waiting a month, downplaying the fact that this was a, a threat has really cost a lot of lives. And the quicker we all can practice these public health recommendations, maybe it'd be quicker for us to open the economy back up. And I'm really glad that Governor Kelly had this Ad Astra plan into phases instead of just saying, this is the day everything's open. And then to take that a step further, a lot of local businesses still haven't opened their doors yet. 
currently here in Lawrence, I know on Mass Street, there's a few restaurants who feel that it's in their mission and they can't, I guess, morally and ethically open their doors and their tables and are doing curbside. And I think that's that's uh, a really good position to do. But then there's other restaurants, too, who have just been tremendous at stepping up their hygiene, following the guidelines for the capacity of people to be in a restaurant. And I believe that is the same with Baldwin City as well. I've visited a couple of their local restaurants, and they are following the curbside recommendations. And I see some of the employees wearing masks as well, which is really good, just to see that leadership in the community as well, saying that. We want to be leaders for our people from the business leaders' perspective to protect our customers, to protect our employees and their families. And and this next question is I I was I was rethinking how to ask this question because I don't want to sort of give away what your future future strategies are going to be in terms of working with other with other politicians or working with people from the across across the aisle. But it's this question about compromise. And in politics, you know, the old saying is that much of politics is about compromise. And as as much as you uh, can, what are some of the things that you may, may or you can answer it this way, is, is what are the, some of the things that you may not be uh, or find yourself able to compromise on? What are some things that just, just can't sort of get you, get you to move to the, to the other side? I believe that compromise is definitely all about government democracy. And I am very proud to say that I'm happy to work across the aisle. I've even you know, talked to my representatives at the federal level who are Republicans, my senators, my representative for the second congressional district, they're Republicans. But I still went to you know, their meetings, their town hall meetings, still express my concerns to them because they are my representatives. And I think my background is being Native American, we like to say that American Indian issues are bipartisan or no partisan. So I grew up, you know, you need both. You need it to pass out of Congress. It um, doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat, you know, or other parties saying this. You just need the votes for it to pass to improve quality of life and quantity. So that concept, especially getting more into health policy, it was a reality. Um, and I'm very open to discussing and to seeing where maybe um, my other colleagues are at in these different types of issues and positions. I guess what you're asking, what are some things that are just not non-negotiable is, I guess I can't really predict what type of policies, but Anything that has a high potential of lives lost, putting the public in danger and definitely uh, in compromising, I guess, constitutional rights, making sure that the the spread of justice is equitable to everybody, making sure all voices are heard. Um, another strong, I guess, policy that I'll bring in that I believe in is the right to choose for an abortion. I believe that strongly as the only candidate that's a woman with a uterus. Um, I do not like the idea of these policies being made by men and, you know, particularly people that don't come from this low economic status that I grew up in. Like I received my health care from Indian health services that's ran by the federal government, which if you look statistically, the per person is lower than the per person they have for prison. I come from this background that, you know, those type of decisions where I'm marginalized, I I don't understand why, you know, the, us as people were not making that decision or we had representation or we had an opportunity to voice why we did or did not want this policy to go through. One of the one of the programs that you've actually 
participated in that I thought was pretty interesting and uh, wanted to make sure that you could speak to it and and, and further give voters an idea because you even though you are young you do have some quite a bit of experience in politics and political thinking in general and one of the one of those programs that you participated in was Native American political leadership program so I wanted to I guess have you discuss that a little bit and how much that's also contributed to your political thought or at least political political experience because it's not like you haven't uh, been in a in position of thinking about what policies to pass and what what's good for a given community this seems like a type of program that puts you in that mindset of thinking Thinking about policy in general. Yeah, the Native American Political Leadership Program in APLP was a great opportunity that I'm very thankful to have. And I worked at the at a nonprofit and I got to work with their congressional director. And she, and this is kind of where my interests, this is really why I applied for this um, opportunity, is because I want to see who is at these tables that everyone talks about. <laughs> they say, Decisions are uh, happening at the table, and for your your voice is not at the table. I'm I'm like okay, take me to the table that you guys keep talking about. So luckily, um, that was really much the main reason why I applied to this internship because I know um, past interns got to intern for their congressional um, representative. At the nonprofit level, they provided more of a flexibility. Where I saw that if I was a congressional intern, I really would have to work on, I guess, outside of health, um, which I just really wanted to have a more focus on healthcare. So at the nonprofit with the director of congressional relations, I finally got a seat at the table um, as an intern, of course, and seeing how and who are these people that we advocate towards. And to my surprise, they were pretty much my age working on the Hill. They were all fresh out of undergrad, political science majors, and they were all pretty much active in their own local state, Democratic Republican Party, or they've canvassed or they campaigned for so-and-so. And I was I was really surprised to see young people like me. I thought it would be lawyers who had 20 years of experience working on our country's policies and listening to constituents. No, it was just people my age. So the issue of, am I too young to be running? I don't think so. Go to D.C., get a meeting with one of your congressional um, representatives, and you'll see someone my age, too. I also think that my age is such a surprise is just because the barriers and the realisticness of a state government um, legislator salary is more feasible for somebody who's more well-established into their career, um, who's married, who oftentimes is retired and has the, um, I would say, the, the means to take such a financial. Anyways, back to my internship experience. <laughs> Yeah, so I got to see that side of that. And with the other interns that were congressional interns, they had really cool internship duties. But one of the things that they kind of noticed um, what I was doing was doing more of an impact at a nonprofit level. And I got to do all these cool other opportunities as well. Um, another half of my internship included just public health reports and research, hopping on webinars for people across the country to help train them on how to do their own research in their own community. That's something I very much believe in is we need to train the community in these research methods, not go into a community and start doing research, saying, here's our recommendations and leaving the community. That is not how I was taught. I was taught in a community-based participatory research method. And that's pretty much what I believe in. But yeah, this internship also had a good aspect of taking three classes at George Washington University. And that that is uh, where I got to learn. Um, I took like 
two political management classes, and I think one of them was just um, Native American history, mainly like an introduction to Native American, um, American Indian law and legislation. But in those political campaign management classes, one of them was at a master's level, and I was the only female in that class. And it kind of showed just the gender disparity of this field. And I guess just the environment, too. It felt pretty much like a level of privilege, too, just to be in this class and the type of presenters that would come in have a lot of experience. And it really opened my eyes just to see how campaigns work, the structure of it. And it sounded like fun to me. So when I got back, I actually contacted um, Sharice Davis's campaign and signed up to be part of her uh, congressional or no campaign fellow and I did that for winter break and then just school hit back again with the course loads and whatnot but during that winter break training it was really great to see just how things work at this level yeah it was a really great opportunity and I'm really thankful for all the people that I met and especially the interns we all came from different types of universities there's a handful from Ivy Leagues there's a handful from the reservation and my roommate she was from Hawaii so we got to get a Native Hawaiian's perspective on a lot of these. And even her being far away and seeing American Indian issues from us and I guess just at, in D.C., she was like, oh, you guys face similar, you know, like land issues and cultural issues as well. So it was a really great opportunity. I'm very thankful for them. And they've been a very big supporter. And I think some of the key things to take away from from that experience is not just the, the sort of direct instruction or training that you got in in politics but also the the initial perseverance and an initiative that you that you put forth and reapplying and not just reapplying but also going directly to to the program and asking you know what can I do to look to make sure that I, I get back in because I really want this and that I think just those two sort of characteristics are important in anyone that that uh, is running for office is you know because you're not always going to win uh, in policy making and you're not just going you're not you're definitely not going to win if you're sort of sitting on your hands and waiting for something to happen. So in, in that story alone, you sort of show what sort of policymaker you might be or could be if people were to elect you. Yeah, um, definitely. Even in my educational journey, I didn't finish in the typical four years. I finished in six years because I couldn't pass anatomy and physiology. <laughs> and I knew then and there that medical school was not something <laughs> for me. But public health was something I was very passionate about. And it definitely aligns with my values and moral values as well. And with uh, with that, Christina, I think we can sort of um, uh, bring our our conversation to a close here. And with that, I, I just want to make sure you you give voice to the things that we weren't able to to cover. And what are some of the things that you want our listeners to take away from our conversation today? I want everyone who's listening to know that I am ready to use my education and my experiences to be a voice for you. I am open to new innovative ideas I believe what's happening, I believe the saying that what we've been using now for decades isn't working. So I welcome all ideas. And I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a professional. I'm an expertise at this and this, you know, like economics and taxes and small businesses and agriculture. Those things I need your guys' help on. So feel free to contact me, phone call, Zoom call, social distance, meetup or some some sort that 
you can tell me exactly what your issues are and what your concerns are and what's directly impacting you. How does this one policy impact you? Because that's very important. Your voice matters. You know, what you're going through right now matters. Mental health, too. I know in the start of COVID-19, mental health and behavioral health was very low. And we, I, think, I believe, you know, for myself, too, that we all kind of have to find ourselves back into taking care of ourselves, taking care of our mental health, taking care of, you know, the workload of things and how everything just was just overwhelming. Other issues that I believe in is the protection of K-12 funding and higher education funding. The next big issue, I believe, next legislative session is definitely the budget. And how are we going to come up with a budget when our economics wasn't very well? I believe I just saw a report saying that Douglas County still hasn't come back from the economic losses of COVID. So that's definitely a big issue that I recognize and I want to work with you know, local small businesses just to see how that impacts you. What what can I do at the state level and who, who can I connect you to with if I can't at the county level and so on. Defending women's reproductive rights, I touched on a bit, but I believe that is a decision that we should give the patient full autonomy. Um, that is a decision between the patient and their doctor, creator and their God. And the promotion of sustainable infrastructure, where we need to think of more innovative ideas. We need to protect Mother Earth. We need to protect our agriculture, ways of life. Kansas is big in agriculture, um, producers of wheat, soy, beef, pork that goes out to even internationally. And it's a big economic driver for the states locally as well as, you know, like Baldwin City. One of their biggest employers is Baker University. And I believe that I've gone to Haskell Nations University, which is a smaller university as well. Those two usually get overshadowed by KU. And I definitely want to be a resource to them as well. If you have any concerns, feel free to reach out. Well, Christina, I want to thank you for speaking to us on your campaign today. And if you would also tell us or tell our listeners, if they want to know more about your policies, where can they, where can they see that? Yeah, we have a campaign website at haswoodforkansas.com. That's Haswood, H-A-S-W-O-O-D, for F-O-R, Kansas, K-A-N-S-A-S.com. I have campaign social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at the handle of Haswood4KS, um, Haswood Forks, if you will. Um, if you want to email me, I'm at Christina at Haswood4Kansas.com, and that's Haswood, H-A-S-W-O-O-D-F-O-R-K-A-N-S-A-S.com. Well, again, thank you for, for sitting down and, and having this uh, conversation about your campaign with me today. Thank you. And with that, I would like uh, also again to thank the Post House for being our host today and also our partners at the Hall Center for the Humanities, IDRH, KU Philosophy Department, and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time where, where we'll be speaking with another candidate running for local office. Mm-hmm.